Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Hey, if you're new with us for the first time in the room or online, thank you so much for choosing LifePoint Church. We hope you feel welcomed and right at home. If we've never met, my name is Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church, and we're excited to have you with us. We are in part three of our current series, Fail Proof. And if you've missed the last two weeks, don't worry. You can go back and lean into and listen to the messages from our lead pastor, Danny Rivers. He's here with us in the room today. Can we just give it up for our lead pastors, Danny and Rachel Rivers? You might have missed it, but LifePoint is 14 years old. On Wednesday, that happened. So a lot of you guys don't get to see the behind the scenes, but there is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into building a church, and it would not be possible if it wasn't for our pastor's willingness to obey God's word, to help build this church, and to pour themselves into it. So today when you see them, just thank them for obeying God's will and work in their lives. Now, I want to go ahead and kind of set the stage for this week. You might not know it, but we've been exploring over the last several weeks the second letter of Peter to believers. And if you're careful when reading the text, if you read it really, really slowly and intentionally, what you can kind of get a sense of is that Peter is writing this and he's like, it's like he's opening up his heart, pulling it out of his chest and saying, please hear what it is that I have to say. Like, I love you so, so much. I'm concerned about what is coming, what the church is facing, that I want you to please hear the words that God has placed into my heart. The Spirit has inspired me to say this, and I hope to have your attention. You see, Peter recognized there was a moment of importance that the church was entering into. He could sense, he could feel the opposition, the pressures, the pains, the pursuit of pleasure, the false teachers and leaders that were speaking and weaving lies uh, to the church who were trying to to take ground and, and turn these people's lives upside down. And in this blaze of passion, I think Peter recognizing that the end was coming near for him, his life was on the line, following God's presence in his life, he begins to write these words that we've been studying, trying to wake us up to consider some truths about the direction and development of our lives, right? Not trying to push us down, but trying to pull us up, to trying to encourage us, to spur us on for good things. And it's funny because truth, truth is a really funny thing. Like if you're married, you definitely know that truth can be funny because it can be used as a weapon, right? Or truth can be used to heal and nurture and make whole but it does mean that when we're, when we're talking about truth, it means that we have to at least be willing to be honest and open up ourselves concerning the current condition of our lives, concerning the current condition of our faith as we're going to find in this letter. And for starters, when we look at the opening remarks in this letter, this letter is addressed to believers. Look at what it says. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, I can almost imagine Peter being giddy when he's writing these words to us. 
Because right away we can see in the text that he's putting the spotlight on Jesus through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God and Savior not being two separate things. If you look at the way that this was written, they were referring to a singular subject, that Jesus was both our God and our Savior, that faith comes from the price that Jesus paid on the cross, that it was, his grace is given, it's available to us. His life was a sacrifice that we could take on to be in relationship with God. And it's crazy, right? Because often we, we see people who are trying to earn their faith or strive for their faith. And Jesus says, hold on, I'm freely giving this gift to be in relationship with you to you. If you would just trust me, believe in me, turn to me, Jesus says, you can have life and have it to the full. And this address reveals to us kind of something important. When we look at this opening language, a truth that Peter viewed, how he viewed faith. Like, look at this. He says, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours. Like, in other words, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to those of you who were once strangers to God, but are now citizens of heaven, what I want you to know is that your faith your faith is just as precious as mine. Now, this might not strike you, but this is kind of incredible to me because Peter actually touched, walked with, did life, slept under the stars with Jesus. Like, that's, that's kind of a big deal. Like, good old Pete did life with Jesus, and he's telling us, hey, the faith that I have, that I've built, right? That faith, like, it's like he could have like, been like, you know, you didn't get to do that but I did. He could have one-upped us, right? But he's like, no, no, no. What I want you to know is that your faith, regardless if you didn't get to see Jesus like I did, but if you believe in him, your faith is as precious as mine. Your faith has the same access to Jesus as mine does. And then he continues, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And this word knowledge here it brings us and his audience to attention. You see, because I think there are two kinds of knowledge that we experience, right? There's a knowledge that's, that's gained, like practically, study, trial and error, usually just error, right? Getting things wrong, like time and time again. Anybody feel me on that? Just like me. Okay, we got some honest people in the house. God bless you. The rest of you are not as honest. But then there's a knowledge that's given, right? That's deposited to us in relationship. And that's the word that's being leveraged here, right? The word that's being leveraged is there's a knowledge that you receive when you walk in, when you're carrying out relationship with Jesus. And this kind of knowledge, this pursuit of this knowledge would not have been uncommon to Peter and the Greek culture that surrounded him, right? They were seekers of the divine. They wanted wisdom and knowledge of both human and divine nature, which brings us to kind of an interesting thing. You see, because spirituality is searching for a connection to something bigger than ourselves. Spirituality is simply searching for a connection to something bigger than ourselves. And believe it or not, the culture that we find ourselves in right now is hyper-spiritual. The, the culture that we find ourselves a part of right now in this moment is hyper-spiritual. But the difference is that instead of believing that the gods are out there, up in the sky, somewhere out in nature, right? They believe that they in and of themselves are their own gods. That is what culture has taught us to believe, that we can claim that we are our own gods. 
And we seek spirituality just like the Greeks did. You see, the Greeks sought spirituality in Peter's age through this philosophical speculation, right? Attempting to reach the heavens through the sheer power of human thought, which is really funny because it brings up some obvious issues, right? If human who is finite in nature is trying to understand the mystery of deeper, infinite things, like how is the finite, the limited going to grasp the infinite alone? And another way that they were seeking greater knowledge was through mystical experience, right? Attempting to create plays and craft environments to allow people to enter into certain experiences, become one with the drama, right? It was intended to be this kind of conscious experience. And at times they would also embrace these experiences with like the use of substances and shamans, all in pursuit to reach beyond the world that they could see into the transcendent. And right now we are living in a similar context. And, and it's, it's kind of ironic because people will be like, oh, I'm not, I'm not religious. I, I'm not a part of any, uh, you know, I'm not affiliated with any denomination or, or any kind of, you know, uh, church or any pursuit. Like I, I'm just spiritual. And what's interesting about that is, is we actually, as believers, there's actually a reason why people are actually searching for the transcendent. Look, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. It says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. And what's funny is that when you state that you're spiritual, you're basically admitting three things, right? You're searching for something bigger, greater than yourself. But first, there's a belief that there's more to the world than what meets the eye. There's more than just the mere material. Second, there's an attention that's given to what's going on inside of us. We turn our focus inward to the inner life, to our personal, mental, and emotional states, attempting to kind of gain a greater self-knowledge. And then third, we pursue virtues that help bring about human flourishing, Right? Those are the things that are valued. And when you compare these to the message of Jesus, it would actually seem like he checks all those boxes. See, what does Jesus tell us? There is a kingdom being ushered in that you cannot yet see. There's a life that we can experience, but it starts by leaning into and dealing with our heart and mind's position towards God. That when we begin to address the expression of our disordered desires within us, when we address what's in us before it comes out of us, walking in God's divine nature, we can express virtues that bring about human flourishing in the most selfless of ways. The pursuit of Jesus is a pursuit of spirituality. And it might seem crazy, but it's answers like this that are found in the Bible that make me realize that the Bible actually has the answers to some of life's most important, most greatest questions. And the knowledge of Christ doesn't come from philosophical speculation. It doesn't happen through mystical experience. Simply, it happens when we begin to seek and understand and know God and who he is as his word tells us. And we begin to apply and live that out in our lives. And he makes himself known within our present reality. And for a moment, I just want to talk to those of us who claim to follow Jesus. Right? We're going to step on some toes but it's not trying to single anyone out and I'm stepping on my own. But part of the current American Christian crisis, as I see it, is that there are so many followers of Jesus who refuse to actually open up his word and read it. There are so many of us who have access to 
life and life abundantly, but we're unwilling to do anything with the book that he has given us, his words. We show up to church on a weekend, right, looking for a one-hour experience to be fed spiritually without feeding ourselves Monday through Friday. And it would be one thing, right, if the podcasts and the devotionals and the faith-based articles were supplemental to our own personal faith journey. But it's a whole other thing when that is a sole source that we're relying on to build a relationship with Jesus. And the truth is, is you're not building your own faith, you're leveraging someone else's. And when life comes and hits you hard, because at some point it will, you can't stand firm. And your faith fails you. We have to build our own faith. We can't just keep consuming book after book after book of the knowledge, you know, of our current philosophers and modern day geniuses looking to embrace and exercise greater living today for tomorrow, neglecting the book that has endured for thousands, thousands of years. The Bible is thousands of years old. It's backed by research and historical data, and yet there are those of us who would rather listen to people who are 40 to 50 years old today then look to a book that has survived cultures and nations and human folly. And as pastors, pastors are just here to guide us into God's word, not guilt us into it. Right? Pastors are here to open up God's word and say, here is the feast that is available to you, but they can't force feed it to you. And pastors, it's funny because it's pastors, you said this last week, it's like, it's like we think that pastors have some special access to God than we do. And it's like, no, man, we bleed just like you. Like, we have problems, we have struggles just like you. We simply just desire to know who God is on a personal level. And it's that desire, that deep drive that pushes us to know and study his word. Because if God is real, then there is so much to lose. There's so much that's on the line. And fortunately for us, as we're reading Peter's letter, as he's describing what Jesus says Here's how you access the better life. The good news is that Jesus just doesn't, doesn't just tell us how to have life. He enables us to live it out as it ought to be lived out, right? A relationship with Jesus isn't a withdrawal from life, but empowered involvement in life. Jesus empowers us in our life to be able to live to a greater, better extent than we could without him. And when we say yes to following Jesus, we get to participate in his divine nature, participate, a nature that is intrinsic to who he is. We get access to the same character, love, qualities, characteristics. We are capable of becoming who God is through a relationship with Jesus. One of the early church fathers said it this way, he became what we are to make us what he is. He became what we are to make us what he is. You see, man Man has it in him to share in the nature of God. But only in Jesus can that potential be realized. Can that potential be walked out? And this is why Peter can say, his divine power has given us everything we need. Everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Though these desires, through these desires, he has given us a very great and precious promise so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. And if we want to experience life, 
in life to the fullest, if we want a faith that doesn't fail us when we fall, then we need to begin to focus our energies and equip ourselves with the qualities accessible to us through Jesus, the same qualities that Peter has been talking about. You see, faith as a foundation needs goodness. It needs knowledge. And as we're going to explore today, it needs self-control and godliness. You see, Peter says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning that they're growing richer, deeper, wider, you're using them, playing it out in your life, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this This is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to faith. Because faith does not exempt us from exerting ourselves to work on it. God does not absolve us from effort. He gives us access. And the greatest life that's available to us comes in our participation with God's work and his spirit in our lives. And the word self-control here is really interesting because it literally means like, it it means to, to take a grip of oneself. Or better yet, to just get a grip. Like, look at somebody next to you and say, get a grip, yo. Right, and that's, come on, like, that's really easy to say, but this is a really hard quality to live out, isn't it? Because a lot of us think that we're in control of our lives. Like, we think we have our impulses and our desires down. But if you have the Sonic app, right, and suddenly that notification pops up that mozzarella sticks are five for 99 cents, there's a problem. Right? Double stuffed Oreo blast, limited time only. Right? Suddenly, you're not as in control of yourself as you would like to think that you really are. Everything just falls apart in that moment, and then diabetes. But it's true. And the Greeks, the Greeks had much to say on this subject. You see, Aristotle defined four kind of states of life. The first one was perfect temperance. Passion subjugated to reason. The second one was unbridled lust, right? Reason that is subjugated to my passions. The third one was incontinence when our reason fights with passion, but passion prevails, right? How often does that happen? And then the fourth one, self-control. Reason that fights against passion, but prevails. And as you read scripture, time and time and time again, we see that self-control is one of the highest virtues of the Christian faith. Like we understand this in a practical sense, right? Like if if you want to lose weight, if you want to be healthy, you need to watch what you eat. You should probably, you know, I don't know, run, do some cardio, jump roping is like the best thing. And then you're, you know, we we know what it looks like in a practical sense. We want to go to the gym because we want to build our bums. So we're like, I'm going to do booty bands. Like we, we want to learn a new skill, so like, you know, we open up books and we really dive and dig into them, right? What is it that helps keep ourselves under control? The goal. We have a clearly defined goal that we know that we're working towards, but it gets really weird when we talk about self-control within a Christian context. Because we think that self-control means that, that I'm supposed to be stripped and lose all of my passion and, and I can't explore or have any pleasure in my life. And the problem is, passion is not the problem. Pleasure was God's idea, and desire was part of our design. 
You see, following Jesus is not about denying yourself all of life's pursuits and passions. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure how this message got woven into Christianity because whoever started it did not read Genesis. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Hello. His idea. Then you go and you read Song of Solomon and it's literally all about just extravagant lovemaking. Like, you, know, like, you think Mexican novellas are great and make you blush? No way, man. Just take a second to read Song of Solomon, right? And if you're the kind of person that loves, I used to work at Target and they have like romance section, like you get all worked up by a romance novel like that, start reading Song of Solomon, you might actually read your Bible because you didn't realize what was actually in it because you don't open it up to begin with. Desires in and of themselves are not sinful. God gave us the capacity to desire. It's how we express them outside of his design that causes us and other people damage. That's where the problem is. Self-control is intended. Listen, self-control is intended to be expressed in situations where passions are present, but they're submitted to God. Where instead of us serving our passions, our passions are serving us. I love this verse in Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man or woman without self-control is like a city that is broken into and left without walls. Things are coming and going as they please. No restraint, no defenses. Simply put, right? Self-control or a lack thereof goes to the deepest part of us, our hearts. And we have to work on our emotions and work on our minds. Proverbs 4.23, I want to show you one verse in two different variations. It says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Watch what you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. But then another translation of the same verse says, guard your heart above all else for this is the source of life. You see, there's this interplay that happens between our thoughts and our hearts. And if we don't learn to get this under control, we can really do some damage to us. And if we want to exercise greater self-control, we need to consider, what are we putting into our lives? What are we putting into our lives? What are we letting our eyes see? Are we taking account of the thoughts that we're thinking, of the desires that we're letting sit on our heart? Are we taking inventory of the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch, the social media that we scroll past? Faith requires us to have some intentional living. Like that's, it's, it's work, but it's worth it. And when it feels like we're losing a grip of ourselves, we're losing a grip of control, when we just need to turn back to God and hand our lives back to him. And that's really easy to say but it's hard work. But there's, there's, there's a couple ways that we can start to do this. The first thing is that we can renew our minds through God's word, right? Renew your mind through God's word. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the word testing here should stick out to us, right? We hate tests. Let's be honest, right? Math is the worst subject. We hate tests. But the test does what? It reveals your understanding. It reveals the work that you have put into it. That's what testing does to our faith. 
it exposes our deficiencies and where we need to partner with God to grow deeper, to get more intentional with how we are walking and living out our lives. And the good news is that when it gets hard, we don't have to do this for ourselves, right? You can actually pray for the Holy Spirit to help you. Pray for the Holy Spirit's help when it feels like things are going out of control. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There's our word again. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? The power that we have access to in partnership with him. And we can also do this if we would just learn how to confess our habits to God and to others. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus and his son cleanses us from all sin. We are meant to do life together. We're not meant to walk, to walk alone. And we've all heard it, right? You are only as sick as your secrets. You are only as sick as your secrets. We're meant to hold each other accountable, not to criticize, not to judge one another, because I know that there are some of us who are, we're, we're chismosos, man. We love gossip, right? But it's not, but it's truth. It's not gossip. No. As funny as gossip is, it is equally dangerous. It is equally destructive, right? The covenant community that we have entered into, we're meant to hold each other accountable, but to love each other and to have compassion and to embrace each other and to help hold each other up when the going gets tough because it's going to get tough. We know that. We've lived a little, but with God's grace, standing arm in arm, linked together, there is so much more that we can endure. Don't do life alone. And if you are, please stop by Next Steps today. Go to a group. It will change your life if you let it. One of the other things that we need to do is identify our triggers. Identify and remove our triggers. Put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. It's corrupt with deceitful desires and need to be renewed, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on a new self created after the likeness of God in his righteousness, his true righteousness and holiness. All right, let's just get real for a moment. How often do we intend to do good but fail to do it? It happens so often because again, we're not as in control as we would like to think. And there are certain friend groups, there are certain environments that we need to begin to separate ourselves from that when we walk into our old habits get triggered and there's this drive, this impulse, this desire, this cascading loop that you step into without even realizing it. But there's a new you right there that you can have access to when we begin to create new patterns and find new friends, right? And build a relationship with God where he's like, hey, he begins to help make you aware of the things you didn't realize you needed to be made aware of. And he begins to help you create new patterns that reinforce the best version of yourself that you have not yet get to live. And it's crazy because sometimes we won't pursue the better things because we're afraid of what other people will think about us. But they, they're not gonna live with the consequences of your life. They really don't have your back. 
Why do we care what it is that they think about our lives and our decisions? Do what's best for you. Do what God's will says is best for your life and see how things can begin to transform and change in ways you never expected. And when it comes to growth, there will be some discomfort, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The discomfort is worth the progress. The pain will bring about something good. And this last one, because I just think we need to be reminded, failing does not disqualify your faith. Failing doesn't disqualify your faith. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Life, we know this, life can be brutal. It can beat you up. It can run you over. We can have the worst of days. There will be times when we fail to do what we know we should do. We're only human. That's why we need Jesus to sustain us when we can no longer carry ourselves through the storms, through the circumstances, through the friendships, through the seasons that we, we just no longer have the strength. God comes in and says, let me give you my spirit, my holy presence in you to sustain you when you are weak. With me, you can then be strong. Progress, not perfection, is the goal of faith. Step by step, day by day, little by little, And I love this verse. Looking only at Jesus, the originator and perfecter of the faith. Keeping our eyes on the prize, right? Remembering that our faith begins and ends, begins and ends with Jesus. When life gets hard to do, he already knows all the details. He's already working things out. We just have to trust him. We have to lean into a relationship with him. We have to ask him for his help and his guidance. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It doesn't mean there won't be pains or there won't be some problems that we'll have to address, but with him, we'll get through. We will find the strength to see our ways through and a relationship with Jesus is the goal. If we would just keep our eyes on him, trusting that with him anything is possible, you will see some incredible things happen in your life. And then this is where the quality of goodness enters the picture. Godliness doesn't mean what we assume it might mean. Like, honestly, the English language has has some really poor translations because in the Greek, this word eusebia is so, so rich. Like, literally translated, it means well-worship. And it's attempting to paint this picture, reflecting an attitude of one's life to live with a sense of God's presence, motivated by a desire to know and love him more, to please him in our thought life, in our hearts, in the things that we do, in the things that we say, right? It's to correctly worship God and give him his due while also correctly serving our fellow man and giving them their due, to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with our fellow man. That's rich. Godliness. Godliness is living within awareness that all life is lived in the presence of God. Godliness is living within awareness that every part of my life, every space that I walk into, 
every thought that I have, there is a spectator who is there, not, not to shame you, not to criticize you, but to help see you through. Godliness is living with an awareness that God is present in each and every moment of your life. Nothing we do is hidden from him. Nothing we do is hidden from him. And it's recognizing that through God, we can live above the petty things of life. That we don't have to respond the same way to to the pursuits of pleasure and pressures that the rest of our world succumbs to. It's waking up in the morning and asking the question, God, what would you have me do? God, as I live, as I work to reflect you today as best as possible, how would you have me live? How would you have me speak? God, help me. Help me, God, not to say things that are based on my preference. Help me, God, to show your love, your light to people in a way that draws them into you, not pushes them away from you. God, help me to live out your design and desire in my life for other people. And there's no way that you can know that daily if you aren't spending time with him daily. Open God's word. Access the life that's available to you. I came across a commentary by a man, Dr. Wayne Barber, just a fellow believer in faith. And what he had to say about worship was powerful. He said, remember, though, that worship is not a feeling. As we act upon the truth, we have learned in the word, the spirit begins to develop his character within us. And the spiritual knowledge becomes so practical that God begins to meet every need of our life. You begin to find yourself experiencing self-control in areas you never thought possible. And you can bear up under things that were before seemingly impossible circumstances. Godliness comes out of this quality of obedient faith. And obedient faith and the one result is the ability to worship well. Jesus, worship his Father. Not my will, but yours be done. This is the essence of real worship when we say no to our flesh and yes to God. When we learn to say no to our body and yes to God. When we learn to submit to his will in our life and not our own. Worship's not a feeling that you get when somebody comes up here and sings. Worship is a verb, a lifestyle that understands who God is, who I am, and what it is that he has done for me. And it's saying, not my will, God, in my life, but yours. And is is it any wonder then why so many people lack so much passion and pursuit for Jesus? If we're not picking up his word and reading it, then we're not, we seem to forget very quickly the price that he's paid on our behalf. What he has done for me in my life. And his word reminds us how good he is to me and his very great and precious promises that I have access to when I trust and lean into him and begin to walk that out in my life. Godliness is a discipline that requires us to have self-control, inviting us to pursue God with all heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's holistic. And this is why. This is why I think Paul and Peter and the other apostles were pushing so hard for us to grasp the urgency and intensity concerning faith. I think it's because we're so, we are so short-sighted creatures. So distracted by the pursuits, the desires, the pleasures of today that we forget about tomorrow. Tomorrow might not be coming. This life is so short and eternity is a very long time. 
Eternity is a really long time and we can get so focused, so driven, following our impulses and our desires that we miss out on the greater good, the life that comes with following Jesus. And this is why Peter says, grow in the grace that God has given you. Build up your faith to stand against the corruption that is trying to eat you in from the inside out. Leverage self-control, express godliness. Look, look what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse one. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, this is what your true and proper worship is. Your life, living out God's word is your true and proper worship. It's a lifestyle. But the problem is that there is a pseudo godliness that Peter and Paul warned about, that we need to be careful of, that there are believers out there who will claim to follow Jesus. But the problem is that they will be holding on to a form of godliness, but deny its power. They're holding on to a form of godliness, but denying its power in their life. They've gained, they, they've gained a knowledge of truth but they have not lived out that power of truth because they lack a relationship with Jesus. The one who empowers them to live out the qualities that are accessible in and through him. And what is it that has caught their attention so much so that they're missing out on God? He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Never able to come to know the power and the presence of God in their life. Does that feel familiar to you? Contemplate God's word. Consider the time that we're living in and what will your response be? You have access to richer, better, deeper living. Why wouldn't you want the more that God has for your life? Can I pray? Heavenly Father, I just ask, Lord, that right now in this moment, God, that you would begin to stir our hearts and our minds, God. God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to put your finger, God, on the areas of our life, God, where we lack serious self-control. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that you have given us your spirit. When we say yes to following you, you give us a helper. You put your presence inside of us so that way when we're weak, you can help us be strong. When we can't stand or sustain ourselves, because of the circumstance that we're walking through, because of the things that we intentionally or unintentionally let cross past our eyes, the thoughts that we let sit on our hearts. God, you remind us that it's okay. You have a choice. 
in this moment to submit, surrender, to lean into me and let me sustain you or to attempt (laughs) to walk this out on your own. And God, so often we choose to try to handle things ourselves. And God, I would just ask that in this moment that we would humble ourselves and realize we do not have the strength that we need to combat the world that's around us. We need you. Help us, God, exercise greater self-control in our life so we can begin, God, to experience the godliness, the devotion, the worship that comes from recognizing who you are, what you have done, God, in our lives, the price that you paid on our behalf so we could be transformed to live, to live the richest life possible. And God, I pray for those in here who maybe don't know you yet, but they're seekers of the spiritual. They know that there's something more, that right now that you would begin to stir something in their hearts, that as we were reading your word, that your word was pricking and pressing at something in their life. And God, what I know to be true is that doubt can build the greatest of faiths if we would just begin to follow you, to trust you, to play your word out. We don't have to get it perfect. We don't have to understand it all. Jesus always just said, come and follow me. And as you follow me, begin to see and experience the life that I can bring to you if you would just give me the opportunity. God, you're holy and you're worthy. Spur us on to greater things in our lives this week as we step on your word and trust it. In your name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.